In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Before I dive into my homily this morning, I want everyone to take just a moment and reflect on a point of time in your life when something you had been struggling with became crystal clear and you just knew either what to do or something was just absolutely true. Hold on to that moment. And the reason I'm asking you to hold on to that moment and identify it is because as we delve into this morning's gospel, what I see in the story of the transfiguration is that magical moment when Peter, John, and James saw for the first time and absolutely knew now without a shadow of a doubt that which they believed to be true, that Jesus of Nazareth truly was the Christ, the living Son of God. It's that magic moment when everything became clear. And it's no wonder that it takes place on a mountaintop, because as we all know, who have climbed above the tree line and then looked out, that the vantage point from that height allows you to see everything above the trees and clearly see the world around you. And you have this sense of being almost able to touch heaven itself. It is in that place in that moment of clarity that the, act, that the disciples were invited to be with Christ. And so oftentimes when we move in to begin preaching this text, the next thing preachers like to do is bash Peter. Poor Peter, we always say he just didn't get it. Lord, should we build three dwellings for you, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah? And that has been kind of the standard scholarship of English writers. But recently I began to see that there is another thread of scholarship and commentary on this that begins to say maybe the translation from the original language into English is really not very exact. And whenever you move from one language to the next, you're not really exactly quoting anymore or getting the full meaning. You're kind of paraphrasing and guessing at it. And so one new train of thought is beginning to ask a question that maybe Peter wasn't so dumb after all. Maybe Peter actually got it. And what he was saying to Jesus is, we need to mark this moment. This is now a sacred place. And let's build three dwellings or three altars to mark that the divine had stepped here, that Moses and Elijah had been seen. Now, this is not too far from ancient Jewish tradition. If we go back into the stories of the patriarchs, wherever they have somehow wrestled with the divine or the divine has set foot on earth before them, it is named 
and it is marked. Noting that something significant happened on this place, in this time and space. When Jacob wrestles with God, it is and that it is in the morning that he names the place where it happened. Peniel, the place where I wrestled with God, where God came to wrestle is basically what the name is. So Peter is saying, this is significant. Let's mark it. In the same way we as an American people have marked and memorial significant events in our country. All of us who were alive back then and old enough to remember will not forget exactly what they were doing on the day that John F. Kennedy was shot. And even some 60, 70 years later, you can all say, this is where I was. We all remember exactly where we were on the day the Challenger exploded. And almost all of us in this room know exactly what we were doing when we learned about the events of 9-11. They are significant points. And we as a country have not only marked the time, marked the date, but marked the space as sacred and holy ground. It is the same with Peter. On top of that mountain, Lord, let us build three dwellings. Let us mark this sacred point in time and now this sacred place. But that's not where our story ends. Because from that point, as they are filled with awe of being surrounded and in the presence of the divine, fully revealed, when the moment comes to an end, Jesus looks at them and says, it's time to go back down the mountain into the valley. Now this story in the gospel across the synoptics is all used in the same way. It is the pivotal point in Jesus' ministry. We have heard all the stories of the revelations, the miracles, and now it is time to descend the mountain and head towards the next mountain, Golgotha, the cross, and await for the next revelation, the resurrection. As I look at this pattern that the gospel writers have established, I realize it is also a pattern that is reflective of our own lives with God. I asked you all to mark a significant moment in your head. As I tell these stories and put together this homily, there are two dates that are marked indelibly in my head in reflection with this story. The first is when I was nine years old. And for some reason, in a moment of quiet, something happened. And all of a sudden, everything my Sunday school teacher had been talking about and all that went on in church just came together. And for some reason, I became aware of the reality of the divine on this earth and in my life. But the other date that I continue to have indelibly marked, I have that dwelling right there like Peter, is 
a date just between Christmas and New Year's of my freshman year at college. I am home, and I've come to the conclusion that I don't like chemistry. I'm no good at physics. Biology isn't working out. I guess my aspirations of becoming a dentist was not going to happen. And the other realization is in the back of my head, ever since high school, was this nagging desire to be ordained. And like St. Like Augustine, I heard clear as a bell in my head, pick it up and read it. And being drawn to the Book of Common Prayer in our house and opening it up, and it opening right to the page of the calling in deacons and priests. And in that moment, I knew exactly where God was calling me to go. But my journey towards ordination, like all of our journeys, you have this moment of clarity, and you think, okay, we're ready to go there, and somehow that vision is there, and we expect this level plane to take us to where we're called to go. But the journey is not level. We have to go from that moment of clarity and vision back down into the reality and know that the world is not there yet. We're one place, it's another. And the work and the struggle and the hardships of this world continue to be there. This is what the disciples discovered as they come down the mountain and Jesus says, guys, here's the deal. We need to go to Jerusalem. They already have an idea of what waits them there. Perhaps they have no idea of the enormity of what will happen, but they know it will not be easy. And as they found, it was a journey both of hope, of hardship, and despair until what was revealed to them on the mountain that morning is once again revealed to the world in terms of the resurrection. All of our journeys with God have moments of great clarity and hope and excitement and moments of struggle. It is when we enter into those moments of struggle with our faith and with our lives that I believe these moments of clarity, these mountaintop experiences, are designed to help us go back to those moments, to remember what we had seen and understood, and to give us the courage and the fortitude to keep on walking and journeying until you get to the next mountaintop experience. Those are what gives us the energy, the motivation, the hope as we walk from times of light through the times of darkness itself. I believe that we place Transfiguration Sunday on the last Sunday of Epiphany as kind of a moment in each year to fill us with the joy and the hope of resurrection to give us sort of what we need to power through the Lenten season and to get us to the resurrection itself. So I hope that your times of great clarity and vision have been big enough and exciting enough for you that they continue to boister you up and help bring you to the next moment of vision, hope, of resurrection, 
and eventually the kingdom itself. Amen.